broadcasting live from the Pro Business Channel studios in Atlanta. And now here's your host for today's episode, Matthew Theory. Welcome and thank you again for joining us for another episode of Planning Successfully. Uh, today in the studio, I have a colleague of mine, uh, John Sugg. John and I have been working together for about eight years now since John joined Davis Matthews and Quigley, and he and I work uh, pretty closely on a normal basis. Um, John's a fellow shareholder with the firm, and in case you're listening for the first time, uh, my practice involves business law, business litigation, and fiduciary litigation, and um, I also perform uh, mediator and arbitrator services. I also want to give John an opportunity to say hello on the mic, introduce himself briefly before we jump into our topic. Thanks, Matt. As you mentioned, I've worked closely with you for the past eight years. My practice primarily involves business litigation and business law. These are issues such as breach of contract, promissory notes, personal guarantees, landlord and tenant disputes, business torts. Um, Besides just actually litigation, I do enjoy and and do quite a bit of just general advice for clients regarding the business issues that they may have. Uh, These would be basically advice regarding contractual rights and obligations and any other legal issues that they may have pertaining to their business. Thanks, John. You can learn more about John, about me, and about the other uh, lawyers at Davis, Matthews, and Quigley by visiting our website, which is www.dmqlaw.com. I want to give a brief introduction about today's topic. Uh, We're going to delve into the issues related to contract disputes, and if we have uh, time, uh, time permitting, we will also deal a little bit with disputes between co-owners of a business. Uh, If time doesn't permit, we'll punt that, and we'll talk about it at some other time. But um, some of the issues that we're going to go through today are really uh, about the process of a, of a contract dispute. So the goal of today's show is to draw attention to disputes and dispute resolution and the process involving contract disputes. Uh, as is the case in most legal issues, being proactive can help you avoid a lot of the expense and problems arising out of a contract dispute. Uh, as, as everyone knows, some, some disputes are unavoidable. Uh, and in those situations, you have a few alternatives as to how they how they go forward, and uh, we'd like to talk about and walk through some of the processes involved with that. Um, a lot of a lot of the information we provide is going to be uh, in in the form of a general contract dis- discussion. Obviously, each case is going to have its own flavor, its own dispute, and its own personalities. Um, but we want to uh, encourage everyone to go ahead and. Um, look into our previous show that we did uh, on contract business contracts. I think a lot of the underlying terms of the contracts uh, were discussed uh, with Rhett Peden and I in a previous episode. And I, if you go to www.planningsuccessfully.com, you can have an opportunity to find that previous show and listen in on those issues. Um, most people enter a business contract to define their legal rights and obligations. And also, the, the rights and obligations that are going to be owed to them from another person. And we want the purpose of the contract, obviously, is to provide some clarity and understanding as to what's to happen. Uh, when there isn't clarity or understanding or if somebody doesn't live up to that deal, that's where we run into these disputes. And as uh, John and I are going to discuss uh, today, there's there's a mix in this uh, world of, of contract disputes of legal questions and business questions and how you need to consider both the legal aspects of a contract dispute and the business aspects of a contract dispute and uh, how they interplay. And John, uh, if you could start us by uh, kind of walking through some of these issues for us. 
Sure, Matt. So as you were talking about, kind of with any dispute, you're going to have the legal issues, the legal questions that need to be resolved, that you need to get a good idea of that need to be resolved before you decide to pursue the case and how you want to resolve that case. And then there's also the business uh, issues and business questions, the more practical realities and effects of of how this dispute is going to um, work its way through to resolution. So, you know, the first thing you want to consider is what did the contract provide for? What did it require? And what happened? Did you hire someone to provide services that weren't adequate or sufficient? Or did they just not even show up? Or did you hire someone to make you something that was deficient in some form or fashion? Um, were you hired by someone to do work that they are blaming you for not being uh, adequate or um, good, for lack of a better word? And, and is there a legal justification for you not having done so? So these are all kind of issues that you want to, from the legal standpoint, be able to get your, your head around when analyzing how to kind of proceed with a dispute and hopefully its resolution. Uh, then you want to look at the contract and, and how it addresses resolution, because sometimes they do. And so a lot of times you'll see a contract that will require you to negotiate with the other side um, in good faith before ever filing a lawsuit. There's also contract provisions that will require you to mediate in some form or fashion before filing a lawsuit. And then there's also some uh, contract provisions that are frequently used that require you to arbitrate which uh, we can get into later, but arbitrate being that you're probably going to avoid a courtroom altogether and will be going to someone uh, who will privately decide the issue. And there's uh, benefits and there's also uh, cons to, to both of those arrangements. So then you also want to look, does the contract limit your ability to recover anything? Um, sometimes contracts will provide limitations on damages, um, and waiver clauses and that kind of thing. And, and sometimes contracts will even actually spell out what the form of damages are that you're entitled to. And those are called liquidated damages clauses. So just to kind of now turn to basically what you do in terms of a business and, business and practical standpoint, um, uh, and one of the first questions is, is whomever your dispute is with, is this someone that you want to continue a relationship, a professional relationship with, and how to proceed from there. Um, it's basically, do you want to burn this bridge? Do you feel comfortable doing so? Um, the next question is, is the issue substantial enough for you to even want to, to fight? Litigation, hiring an attorney, uh, obviously comes with it, attorney's fees and other expenses associated with that. And so is, is the amount in controversy worth uh, moving forward? And John, and, and with respect to those two issues, uh, do you want to continue to do business with these folks? And is this issue substantial enough to fight about that? Those issues can be somewhat interdependent. Uh, if you uh, want to do business with someone going forward, you may be willing to tolerate a little more of a substantial departure from the contract than you would if it's someone that you no longer have an interest in continuing on with the business. So I think, uh, you know, while these are separate issues, I think it's also important to, for the audience to understand that some of these issues are intertwined. That's, that's an excellent point. Um, the next thing I think you need to consider is, are you willing to accept how this is going to affect your business and even your personal life as well? Um, costs, uh, I alluded to it earlier, those can get very expensive and, and, and very quickly so. It, it requires time to resolve a dispute, however, however you decide in going about it, whether it be through litigation or some other alternative form. Um, sometimes with litigation, it can literally take years. It can take 
years to even get a trial court to render a decision. And then if someone appeals, then you're dealing with another year, at least probably after the actual decision is handed down from the judge as to when you will get a quote unquote final resolution from uh, the courts. Uh, the time and the energy and the effort associated with this is also going to be a, could be a distraction to you and, and how you run your business and the operations um, that are required of you on a day-to-day basis. You're now taking on another load of how, having to, to manage and address uh, the litigation or the dispute that you're involved with. There's obviously uncertainty. You think you're right, another side thinks they're right, and so um, you have no idea at the end of the day what a judge or what a jury will do. Uh, It's something we always tell our clients. Um, Bad cases are sometimes wood won, and good cases are sometimes lost. Uh, There's also just stress. Um, It takes time and energy and effort to do these things. In any dispute, usually you're gonna be required to search through voluminous documents and do document production. Um, at a minimum, there's depositions that are involved. Um, and then if there is no arbitration provision or anything like that, and the sides can't agree for that, and are you comfortable going to court, which is a public forum to, to resolve a, a private dispute and um, the issues that come along with that? And John, before you move on, I, I wanna also kind of emphasize with the stress, there's the distraction. Um, you know, I oftentimes tell folks, if you're involved in litigation, you're, you're focusing on litigation. If you're in business, you're focusing on your business. So in other words, if you make widgets or you sell a service, what you need to focus your time and effort on is making those widgets and selling those services, not spending your time in a, in a courtroom or in a deposition or dealing with document productions or litigation. So if you're in litigation, it has to be because you need to be in litigation because it, the emotion that may be on the front end with folks as to, hey, they breached their contract, let's go fight. Um, will we'll wear off over time normally, and then they will be facing the fact that they've spent a lot of time and effort in the litigation realm when it's distracted them away from doing their business, and now their business is suffering because of the fact that they're devoting their energy towards litigation. Right, and, and what goes along with that whole concept that you've talked about is collectability. Is At the end of a case, if it works its way through the court system, you're given a piece of paper. It's called a judgment. It says that you are entitled to X amount of dollars, if the other side doesn't have it, we, we're left with the old saying that you can't get blood out of a turnip. Now, now, some people are okay with that. Some people just want that piece of paper out of a sense of justice, of being wronged, and uh, are willing to do what it takes to pursue that. If you are looking at it from a business standpoint, um, you're probably more concerned once the emotion you get over the emotional kind of turmoil that sometimes this can cause, you're looking at compensation. And so if the ideal and the end goal is for compensation and to be adequately compensated, then collectability is certainly an issue um, about your potential defendant that goes hand-in-hand with the um, attorney's fees and other costs that that will drive the litigation. Um, So when you're trying to analyze about how collectible a judgment might be, uh, you want to look at how healthy the business is, um, how long it's been around, Um, to what extent there is any sort of interplay between its owners and its people who are making the decisions um, and their own personal finances. By that, I kind of mean commingling and that kind of thing. If you know that the the defendant is possibly commingling funds with his business when he shouldn't be and kind of disregarding the business as a a separate entity and using it simply as an alter ego, 
then you may find an additional source of recovery if your business, um, if it's a dispute with another company, by going after that person individually. The law will sometimes allow you to do that. Um, with regards to attorney's fees, nearly every single client in a dispute is going to ask, well, how do I get my attorney's fees? Um, as a general matter, Georgia follows what's called the American rule regarding attorney's fees, and that means that we kind of have this presumption that in any dispute, each side pays their own way with respect for attorney's fees. Now, uh, that can be overcome by statutory language. If a statute specifically authorizes someone to recover attorney's fees, or if your contract at issue uh, specifically authorizes the recovery of attorney's fees, then those are uh, available means uh, for a litigant to be able to, to pursue those. Um, the most common example, if it's a contract authorization of attorney's fees, would be a prevailing party clause. And typically that's kind of as the name suggests. It says whoever prevails in this dispute um, will be paid uh, attorney's fees. So you see those in a decent amount of contracts. Then there's various statutes that authorize attorney's fees. Probably the most common one, especially in the business context, is if before the litigation arose, if the other party um, acted in bad faith or was stubbornly litigious or caused you unnecessary trouble and expense to litigate this matter, a jury could award uh, you attorney's fees for that. And John, before you go any further on that, I think the word could is important there uh, because even even in situations where the statute provides for or the contract provides for attorney's fees, that doesn't necessarily mean that your client is going to receive an, a recovery or an award that's equal to the amount of money that they actually had to incur and pay to, to dispute the case. It's up to the trier of fact, in most cases, in the jury's hands as to how much of those attorney's fees will be awarded to the party in the action. Absolutely. The, the jury, assuming that they decide that you are entitled to attorney's fees, which is kind of your first checkbox if you want to get them, then the next checkbox is, is proving that the attorney's fees are reasonable and necessary. There are a couple of exceptions on that that are kind of, I don't think we can get into, but for the most part, you're generally having to prove that your attorney's fees were reasonable and necessary. And so that gets into all sorts of issues. Um, and a jury will, will, or a judge will come back with a number. And um, typically on appeal, those are pretty hard to kind of get over. It's pretty hard to get a court of appeals to second guess what a jury or what a judge's determination as to the reasonableness of attorney's fees and expenses were. So uh, there's a couple of statutes um, that once you're kind of engaged in litigation that will authorize attorney's fees. If there is just a complete absence of any justiciable issue of law or fact that it could not reasonably have been believed that a court would accept the other side's position, that may be a way for you to get attorney's fees. Um, and then there's a similar statute that says if the other side acts so substantially frivolous or groundless or vexatious, um, and interposed uh, various actions within the litigation for harassment purposes or delay or unnecessarily expanded the proceeding, um, those can give you an opportunity to recover attorney's fees too. But again, those are going to be kind of subject to the same issues that we just talked about with regards to, one, getting the trial court or the jury to just agree with you and agree that you are entitled to those attorney's fees, and then two, getting the trial court or the jury um, to find that your attorney's fees were reasonable and necessary. 
Um, so those are kind of the issues that, that come up with attorney's fees. One other thing is people are usually angry in business disputes, especially if they're going to go the litigation route and they're upset and they feel wronged, and a lot of times rightfully so. Um, it's important to note that with contract disputes, we, d- we don't do punitive damages. Uh, the law doesn't really allow it. And so as angry as you are, as upset as you are with someone, um, the law is not going to punish them for that. Uh, The remedy is going to be compensation for how much you've been harmed. Right. And I think an important thing to note here is, you know, we're going through the legal issues and the business issues that have to be considered when you're when you're contemplating a, a contract dispute. But I think it's, you know. I don't want this to come up, come off as you know Debbie Downer on on contract disputes. Don't get involved in a contract dispute. As I said when we started the conversation, there are situations where these these disputes are necessary and unavoidable, and that people need to proceed them and, and have very good reasons to proceed with a contract dispute. I think the content of what we're talking about here is more in the context of if you do it. Do it for the right reasons and do it with your eyes wide open, understanding the impacts of the contract dispute. This is not a discouragement of a contract dispute. It's more or less, if you're going to do it, we want you to be educated as to these issues so that later on you don't say to one of us, hey, man, why didn't you tell me about the level of distraction or the level of attorney's fees? Or You want everybody to know the playing field before they get onto the game. And I think that's the important part with respect to some of these issues. I want to kind of segue from the... Uh, the basics that we just talked about into alternative dispute resolution. You you had mentioned earlier, John, that in some contracts the the contract provides for some form of alternative dispute resolution, and I think you named arbitration as a as a as one of the alternatives. And I want to make a quick distinction between mediation and arbitration before I get into this. And in a case where you're mediating, you're going to use a third party, a mediator, to help facilitate a conversation between the parties so as to try to reach a a settlement that is acceptable to everyone. If one of the parties in the mediation does not like the um, suggested remedy that's on the table, the, the settlement proposal that's on the table, that party can walk away. The mediator at the end of a mediation does not make a decision. So, the mediator is not going to say, John, you and Matt are in a dispute. John, I think your side's right, and, and Matt, you need to pay him. That's not the role of a mediator. The mediator is to walk back and forth and try to facilitate between John and I a settlement of our dispute in a way that both of us can then walk away from it and be satisfied that we're done. It's over. Now, there's a difference between mediation and arbitration in the context that an arbitrator does make a decision, and you present evidence in a hearing to an arbitrator much like you would in a courtroom to a judge and jury, except that it's a more private, a little less formal, and uh, you, you present the case to the you, – you take testimony. You have witnesses sworn in. You take testimony, and at the end of the arbitration hearing, the arbitrator or panel of arbitrators will render a decision. They, they, they're not at that point in time asking you if you're satisfied with the decision and you want to settle the case. This is not a settlement. This is a decision. So the arbitrator makes a decision, and that is the end of that case. So let's talk a little bit about arbitration and mediation, uh, mostly arbitration. Um, to start, as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, I am a registered mediator and arbitrator with the state of Georgia. And I, um, even though I am, I will nevertheless say that sometimes you're better off litigating a case than going through one of these uh, procedures. And uh, sometimes you are, sometimes you're not. It's dictated by your situations. It's dictated by your facts. Um, some of the proposed benefits of an arbitration, uh, 
you know, you'll hear oftentimes that arbitration is faster or arbitration costs less than litigation. Or an arbitrator, you can select an arbitrator that may have particular knowledge regarding the subject matter of the dispute so that the person deciding your case knows more about it than the, the typical judge or jury would. And the, the other kind of most notable one is that it's private. Um, it's not involved in the court system. Um, those, those benefits are all there if the, the arbitration clause properly provides for them. Um, Speed depends a lot on the party's schedule and the schedule of the arbitrator. Uh, some arbitration companies are very expensive, have very expensive fees, and have a very distinct process that takes a lot of time to walk through. Um, in those situations, uh, you could actually pay more than you would if you went through litigation uh, you, because you're paying the arbitrator. In the, in, the, in the typical litigation case, you're not paying the judge and the jury for their time to, to listen to your case, to decide your situation. But in an arbitration, you are paying the arbitrator a fee. Do you want to talk about those fees um, just real quick? Uh, fees between arbitrators, uh, the parties in advance can typically advance, uh, can typically agree in advance, excuse me, to split those fees. But then even sometimes they can agree in advance that the prevailing party or uh, will will have its costs of the arbitrator covered by the other party. That's that's true. One party can agree to pay for arbitration. Um, the, they can all, obviously in the contract agree to split the fees. And, and, and in some cases, in a lot of cases, the arbitrator also has the ability to shift the fees depending on the outcome of the case itself. Um, so, the, the you know, one of the benefits on time uh, is – that, so we get through the scheduling issue itself, but one of the benefits with respect to time is that you have very limited appeal rights. Once an arbitrator makes a decision, it's, it's pretty well a final decision in that case. Um, you have a very, very limited appeal right. That's great for speed. It does provide a downside. I mean, if the arbitrator gets it wrong and you know the arbitrator got it wrong, you have a very limited ability to fix that problem. It is what it is. It's almost certainty at that point in time that you're going to be stuck with that decision. Um, you know, if, in, the, in the context of an appeal, an appeal usually takes a year, so you're eliminating that time frame. But you, like I said, the downside is that you, you're really stuck with the decision the arbitrator makes. Uh, a lot of arbitra arbitration clauses select the arbitrator to be through a certain company. Uh, some, like, as I mentioned before, some have very high fees, so the cost is dependent on the selection and the way that the contract provides for the arbitration to proceed. And a lot of times, too, they also, uh, the contracts uh, will provide for more than one arbitrator, which we call a panel, mm -hmm. and that's typically three people, right? And, and so that's, a, that's another way of going about this right and so, and so there's an additional expense the more people the more expense uh the trade-off is you pay more but you have three people that have to kind of come to a conclusion as opposed to one person to come to a conclusion and hope hopefully in doing so you mitigate some of the risk that the arbitrator gets it wrong um, but it, it's a trade-off a lot of these you know there are a lot of business decisions here that a, that a client has to make and this is one of those things that most of the decision-making process involving arbitration is done at the time you draft and negotiate and enter into your contract, not at the time that you reach a dispute after the things have gone wrong with the contract. Um, arbitration, arbitrator's knowledge, you know, as I mentioned, the parties do have the ability to have some input into the party, the selection of the arbitrator. Um, you know, usually that's really great if you have something that's very industry specific and you need to deal with it in that context. Um, 
the privacy is another benefit I think that a lot of folks look at with with respect to arbitration. And in a court case, everything's filed with the court. Under certain circumstances, a court can seal the record with respect to your case. But typically speaking, courts are, are reluctant to, and the law provides that courts should be reluctant to, seal the record of a case. The alternative to that with the arbitration is that everything is really private. It's off the record. The only thing that really ends up on record is when the uh, arbitrator's award gets confirmed at the, at the superior court level after the fact. So there's a lot of privacy benefits um, as well. And I know that we're we're running a little short on time, so I think we're going to maybe not get to the co-owners dispute issues that we talked about. But if we could briefly, John, let's let's just talk about some of the, the damages and uh, what what's available as a remedy in a contract case. You mentioned punitive damages are out. We talked a little bit about attorney's fees. Let's talk about the other damages available to folks in a contract dispute. Sure. So the, the general concept of contractual damages is basically um, we want to, to put you, if, if you're the party who did not breach, we want to put you um, in the same position as, the, as though the other party had not breached. It's called basically the benefit of the bargain. Um, the law can't can't really in some circumstances in some circumstances it can force someone to do something but by and large if someone did a bad job um, on something that they were supposed to do for you the law is not going to necessarily force them to try to rectify that except for through paying you some form of compensation and so generally the idea behind actual damages is, is we want to put you in the same position as though the other side had actually done what they were supposed to um, the counterpart p- of that policy is that we don't really want to put you or the law doesn't really want to put you in a better position than if the other side had actually complied with their contractual obligation and that kind of thing. Um, so generally that's kind of what the standard is. That's called actual damages. Those are the most common that you're looking at. Uh, there are other forms of damages called remote or consequential damages which can include lost profits that are kind of not the direct benefit of the bargain of the contract that you agreed upon, but but kind of down the channel of the kind of chain of effect that the breach may have caused. Typically, those are, are hard to hard to come by, um, but under circumstances, the law will allow you to do that. We don't. I definitely don't think we have time to really get into that kind of thing. Um, that's kind of the general framework and kind of the way that we approach resolving uh, the damages standpoint, but that's assuming that there's no liquidated damages clause. Right. So liquidated damages, uh, John, as you mentioned, uh, it's when parties agree in a contract that if the contract is breached, the damages will be X. The concept is to uh, negate the need for litigation to determine the amount of damages. The problem is uh, there's a very specific test on what you have to do in order to make this an enforceable agreement. And most times parties don't go through that process so as to perfect the ability to collect those liquidated damages. And the result ends up being quite contrary to the purpose. The purpose is to avoid litigation, and then and then oddly enough, you end up litigating the issue of liquidated damages as opposed to getting the liquidated damages. So if you're going to do the liquidated damages, you need to meet the test, or you're going to spend more money fighting about the, the clause than you are the remainder of your damages. Um, another quick issue on limitation of liability provisions, there in a contract, you can limit the amount of money you can collect as damages if, if you breach the contract. So if John breaches the contract, he could have a contract that says, I'm only entitled to receive up to the amount that I paid John within the last 30 days. Um, generally, these are enforceable. So you need to be very careful about what you put in your contract to limit the damages. Um, 
We don't have time today to get into the disputes between co-owners that we had hoped to reach. Uh, so I think uh, we'll have to we'll have to save that issue for another day. Uh, I do think that, uh, you know, the, the, we've, again, scratched the surface of a very uh, in-depth, complex issue, so we're not going to be able to uh, provide everything about a contract dispute today. But I think this gives you a general flavor of some of the business and legal considerations uh, that have to be taken into account when dealing with a contract dispute, when you think someone hasn't lived up to the contract or they think you haven't lived up to the contract. Um, we're, we're just about out of time. Um, the, as, I can, as, as you can tell, contracts can be – the language you use in a contract is very important. And uh, going back to my previous show on the contract issue, but your rights are really set at the time that you form your contract. So you have to be very careful about what you do agree to. Some, some of these uh, disputes can be avoided. Some can't. You, you have to go forward. Um, unfortunately, you know, that's just the, the – when you enter into a contract, you're hoping that somebody is going to live up to their bargain. You're going to try to live up to yours. Um, but I think we're just about out of time, so I want to thank everyone for joining us for this episode of Planning Successfully. You can learn more about DMQ and its attorneys at www.dmqlaw.com. You can follow DMQ on Twitter at DMQLaw. You can follow me on Twitter at Matthew Theory. You can reach us by telephone at 404-261-3900. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of Planning Successfully, and please join us next time for another episode. Thank you again for joining us and our guests on Planning Successfully. Use the social media links here to share today's show and stay tuned for the next episode of Planning Successfully. Brought to you by the law firm of Davis, Matthews, and Quigley. Planning Successfully is for general informational purposes only and no information discussed during the show is to be considered either legal advice or legal opinion. To connect with the show's sponsor, visit dmqlaw.com. And to listen to previous broadcasts, visit planningsuccessfully.com.